I think the future for creators this year and beyond, the next Mr. Beasts of the world are going to be multi-format creators. Welcome back to another episode of Let's Get Practical. I'm your host, Monica Lim. Today, we are joined by Charles Kerr, who works full-time in Google YouTube's division, where he develops marketing strategies to help creators grow and thrive on YouTube. Charles also runs his own YouTube channel that covers a wide range of topics, including personal finance, entrepreneurship, and side hustles. Interestingly enough, he and I met at the first cohort of part-time YouTuber Academy led by Ali Abdal. In this episode, we'll delve into all things YouTube, talking about practical tips for success, exploring some of the current trends that we have now on the platform. Thank you, Charles, for joining us today. How are you? Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm doing really good. I've been been like mega busy with a lot of YouTube events and things this week. So it's nice to actually sit down and not try to think about how I'm getting 240 items of swag delivered to an office which has no storage and packing it into bags ready for an event so yeah super super pumped to chat to you today Monica. how let, that, that's a good place to start can you tell us about this events that you're planning are these for creators are these like internal events what do you do at these events yeah so pretty much because my team is like working with creators like our main focus is working and helping creators grow, develop on the platform, get to know new tools and product features and give them kind of cool opportunities. So the events are one way in which we can achieve that. So we just had this in, in London, this was the YouTube summer session. So it was an event that we had with about, yeah, about 200 or so creators in the UK across all different formats and verticals and niches. And there's usually like maybe two or three kind of events of this size per year. So these are the ones we go a little bit all out. We had a little Froyo stand. You could get Aperol. There's a little stand for Aperol flower crown making. We had a really cool performance by a music artist as well, Talia. And so, yeah, so these are kind of the ones we go all out earlier on in the year because I managed quite a few gaming creators. I actually did a really cool gaming event in, earlier on in the year where they got to have a first look early access to a new game payday three which is actually coming out later this year so that was really cool because we have some cool partnerships with gaming publishers and to be able to give access to i think we had about 120 creators at that event gaming creators access to a new game that's coming out is yeah super fun so i personally get a lot of joy doing it on like in-person on-site events i just think there's no better way than just like connecting with creators and getting to know what they actually care about than doing that in person. So I often get involved yeah, in the events I, happening. I totally agree with the, the in-person energy. I'm actually flying to New York oh, next week nice. just to meet some other creators that I'm a huge fan of and super excited about that. But I, I see, you know, like the work that you are doing is, you know, like YouTube is just providing the playground for people to hang out, play around. And you are trying to help creators sort of like grow, thrive. But when you say support creators, like what does that like specifically look like? How can you help mm. a creator thrive? Or what has worked the most? What it sounds all nice in, in like a marketing <laughs> slogan, yeah. 
But what are some things that you do that actually does help creators, you know, do yeah, better? Yeah, it's a very, it's, it's, a, it's a good question, this one, because we, we do quite a lot of things, which makes it not a great way to answer this question. So there's a few different things. So it may be that we'll, we'll give access to creators' call opportunities. You know, that could be one. And that might be like being able to attend like an early access premiere of the new Witcher series on Netflix, for example. Or it may be that a smartphone brand wants to work with our creators for the launch of a new sort of foldable phone or something like this. And so they, they come to us as the people that look after creators to basically suggest creators that would be good for this type of campaign or to be able to, to fit in that, in that launch. And many of these opportunities are paid, paid as well, right? So these are often paid opportunities for creators to either attend something early and maybe make content about about that which kind of exclusive or like a paid brand opportunity with all of the partners that google youtube has like we have a partnership with mclaren which i'm always a bit like jealous of i'm like goodness where's my where's my work to go and see lando lando norris and the f1 team but no no we have a really cool partnership with mclaren so part of it is like opportunities part of it is just helping creators understand what the modern kind of tools functionality features on youtube are so for example a few quite a few gaming creators that i manage have wanted to do live streaming for the first time on youtube recently and so it's kind of like helping them navigate what does live streaming look like or something like multi-language audio which is something really cool where you can dub in different languages so i think you can do up 14 or 15 languages dub on a, your video, which just opens up a whole new place for people to discover your content. Or it might be something like more kind of general strategy or support on the channel itself. And that may be as simple as, hey, could you do a review of the last 12 months of thumbnails that maybe perform better than others, or videos that perform better than others? And maybe there's a theme in the thumbnails or the titles that we've used that meant that those videos did better than, than others. Or it may be like, could you help me strategize what the next six months of my content could look like in terms of a short, long form, live podcast perspective for my specific channel and my niche? Or even just something as simple as, hey, my video got yellow, like a yellow icon in the gaming community. Like generally this bit more like violence and video game kind of scenes and, and, and sort of swears and things like that. So it may just also be like, hey, I got a yellow icon here and I'm not really sure why. Can you help me get a better understanding of, of, of what that is and maybe how I can avoid doing that next time? Because if for, for folks listening, if you get a yellow icon on YouTube, it would probably mean that your, your ad revenue is restricted, that video, usually because it, it will go up against like community policy. So yeah, it's like in the interest to get that sorted. So we can help with that and any other kind of, I guess, next level support thing as well. So maybe you want to get your track, like the channel verified or in very, very occasionally, if the channel gets hijacked or something like this, you know, these kind of things, we can like step in and actually also just support things relating to the channel, as well as just providing core opportunities and advising on channel strategy and organizing workshops and things like that. So it's a lot of different things. but there's Yeah, a... that's, a, that's a lot. <laughs> but I think the, the, the main, the main pattern that I see is that they sort of have this I don't know, close access, right, to YouTube and the staff. Yeah. So they get to do things or maybe make requests. Do they also participate in any, I don't know, like feature changes of YouTube or 
are they part of the YouTube, the platform itself? Yeah, like definitely. I think this is actually, this, this is probably one of the most insightful parts, I think, of, you know, if you are, if, if, if you are like a, a creator that I look after or you have another partner manager that looks after you, you will not always, but often be receiving like early access into some sort of functionality or testing or we did something recently, which hasn't been announced yet, so I can't talk about it too much, but basically just like some new functionality that's coming to YouTube and like YouTube studio. And we did some creator testing where we brought like a few creators into these kind of like set, like they're sometimes in person, sometimes virtual sessions of, okay, this is what we're looking at. Would this be helpful for you? Would this be useful? Is the way that we've laid this out right? Does it, does it make sense in the kind of wording and the, you know, the layout of this feature and was the outcome of what this does, what you were expecting or perhaps hoping for? So. There's quite a lot of these different testing groups from like the different teams in YouTube. Obviously, YouTube's a massive company and there's lots of different teams working on different parts of the product. But yeah, often we will do these kind of like listening sessions with creators to be like, hey, is this kind of what you had in mind? So recently we did a thing with the gaming creators where they met the global head of gaming, Leo, and just sat down for breakfast with him for an hour, hour and a half with super open, no real agenda, just, hey, you know, what do you think of, of gaming on YouTube? What features are we missing? Should we be doing more on, I don't know, converting people from shorts to live or, you know, live to VOD? How's that working for you? All these kind of questions and people just share their honest thoughts of what they're seeing because they're doing it every single day with the people who are the decision makers. Charles, do you have any examples from all, you've been like years to all the creators, like what are some of the more common requests that you that you hear, mm. what do creators crave these days? Yeah, so I think one of the big things is the features working together, like more like the, these kind of like bridges, is, which is not exactly a feature in, in itself, but it's just more, okay, so I'm doing live streams. How do I get people who watch my live streams to watch my VODs? Or if I'm doing shorts, how do people discover my long form content or whatever it might be? There's been quite a lot of feedback shared from creators on this. And it's where, you know, on the channel page of YouTube, you have like home videos, live shorts, podcasts about that's pretty much where that came from. Like creator feedback was like crucial to basically dictate mm -hmm. that when people discover this channel for the first time, that there just wants to be like some separation of these are where the shorts are. These are where my long form videos are. This is where my live is. And even things like live discovery is quite a big it's quite a big feature request that, that people often often give feedback about so one thing we did we're not there yet but one thing we did is built this little feature where if you're streaming there's and even and you're, someone's watching a short or a long-form video and you're streaming at the moment in which they're watching that video it'll be like a little red ring around your profile and it will say live and so it's like a, just a little indicator to be like I'm watching this person's shot. Oh, they're live right now. Jump in. So just these kind of features. That's really cool. Sometimes I think it's not so much about building a page to just discover the live content. It's just about figuring out where, where the little touch points where you can bring people into a live experience or, the, or their kind of live experience. I think that's a good way of, I think it's a good way of doing that. And even just if you're a creator and 
you maybe do live streams every now and then, or you're thinking of getting into live, I think if you see a particular video doing well, like above the average, whether it's a short or a long form, I call them VOD, video on demand. So if I ever say that, I'm referring to long form. If you see that one of those videos are doing like well, then it's worth thinking about, should I do a live stream at this point to maybe explain or build that further element of community? Because people are like discovering you and watching your content right then and there. So that's the point in which to capture them and give them more insight around the games you play or your interests or your favorite fashion outfits or whatever of the week. I think it's a nice little potentially untapped opportunity where you can just get a little bit more insight into the creator. That's that's so cool. I, I'm I'm always so impressed by by YouTube in that I mean, it's a huge company. It's a probably large corporation. You said lots of different teams. And you would expect the product not to change and not to evolve. But it's amazing how it just keeps, you know, I can I can see YouTube testing things and like putting things, you know, and it's pretty cool. So even the idea of before we only saw the thumbnails and now the thumbnail I don't know what triggers it, but then you can see like the first three seconds or, you know, mm, the video. The previews. So out of all of those, yeah, like the previews, out of all of those like little tweaks that that you have seen in your time at YouTube, what are some of the changes or like this like little things that have made, I don't know, the most impact for both the creator and the platform that you're like, mm. oh, you know, we, we got that right. That was a good feature. I think. There's two things we're doing recently that come to mind because I just think the impact of these are are some of the most requested things and also some of the biggest impact. Like I think for a while we've been like testing or experimenting with like different thumbnails and what that looks like. And we're like finally rolling out thumbnail A-B testing. And this feels like a bit of a landmark moment, I think, if you're a creator. Because you're like, please just allow me to... Please allow me to test my thumb. You know, you will often get the sense of, oh, our video is not performing as well as possible. Is it the thumbnail? Is it the title? Is it just the content of the video? Is it the niche? Well, now you can actually narrow that down. And this has been a long requested feature. And I think just seeing the response to some from people on Twitter or just like the creators that I look after when that kind of came out, I think this is like a one for the one for the creator community, like very much so. I, and I think in terms of the other things that we've maybe built or, or have been doing that I think we're yet to really see the the kind of groundbreaking piece from it. But I, I really think multi-language audio is going to be like a really, really big deal. Like just seeing how some of my creators have started to use it. So this is slowly rolling out, by the way. So if you're, if you're a creator listening to this and you don't have access to it yet, don't worry. It's a slow rollout it's quite complicated to actually have <laughs> as a feature but i think just seeing like about a month ago one of my creators added multi-language audio to he added i think it was spanish and i think it was russian language to hit that was like the second and third most common languages for him and he gained i thought these numbers were for a month by the way and they're actually not they're a day but he gained like 1.4 million incremental views just from Spanish and Russian <laughs> language, which is like wild. I mean, like he's a relatively like big creator, but just these are not taking away from English speaking 
like viewers or English like watching viewers. These are incremental on top of the the view. Like those those views didn't drop. The English didn't go down, and then the like Russian and Spanish dubbing, you know, t- took over those. It's like their English stood the same, and Russian and Spanish was going up. So I think in terms of like globalization and just opening up YouTube for anyone to listen to, even if you're a creator who is like in Spain and only speaks Spanish, you could now get your Spanish videos dubbed to be in English, which would then open you up to more of a US or UK focused audience. If you're in the US, I don't know the exact percentage, but a big proportion of people in the US speak Spanish. And I think often you maybe, maybe we just forget that the world and even our country, we live, we, the countries we live in are multi, are like bilingual or trilingual or, you know, just they, they, people speak multiple languages or there's different languages spoken within our country. And it's, wow, why did we never really think about this? So with this feature, you can get your titles translated and the actual audio itself within the video. So I think maybe it's a bit of recency bias in terms of these, some of the things we've done some recently, but I think, I really think multi-language is just going to open up like a whole new viewership of people. Wow. This is mind blowing. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's cool. But I mean, just to, cause, cause I can, it's, it's almost like hard to wrap my head around it. I speak three languages and I don't know if you remember from Ali Abdal's course, he was, you know, don't use different languages mm, in your channel. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was like too late, a little too late when he said that, cause in my channel, I already had a Spanish video, a Korean video and an English video. And I decided to, after hearing that comment from Ali, I opened a Spanish channel with one video. My, my Korean, you know, just, I felt really fragmented, but I heard two Mm. things. So I heard also that it doesn't matter. Like, you know, recently I saw probably on Twitter that it doesn't matter if you speak different languages, like the algorithm will be able to parse the different languages and suggest you in different ways. But you're saying that you can record the video in English and you will have a voice, probably AI voice, that will say the same things in a different language. So, you, so yeah, so so it's it's on the creator to make to make the thing right now. So it's not in it's not in YouTube right now as like a thing. But like Google has a an AI generation dubbing track, a like feature called Allowed A L O U D, which you can basically use on on YouTube. And there's a few other different like dubbing services, whether they're made from humans or 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 like with artificial intelligence. So YouTube will will accept and ingest any of those. So effectively, you you make the track off platform and then upload it with maybe a subtitle track as well if, if you want to, and then just specify the like translated title as well. I think it's really cool because if you're let's say you're a US creator who makes content in English and you add Spanish dubbing and a Spanish title to your video, if then someone in in Spain to give like a literal example sees has their phone language or their language on YouTube set in Spanish, they will see on like YouTube ES for España, they will literally see the video, but they may now be that they may be, they may now see that video in Spanish in with the Spanish title. And like the thing with all of these kind of functionalities and features, all those all these kind of features and functions, it's all just like how does the audience react? to that kind of feature and i think just seeing if, if you if, if your native language was spanish and you watched a lot of spanish content 
and his your home feed was mostly creators in Spanish making Spanish videos. And then you started to see other videos in span in like in Spanish. It's just opening your like potential like videos that you watch and, and listen to and engage with as a viewer up to a whole new set of creators. I think this is the kind of really cool thing. Like you will go on you'll go on the platform and chances are, I don't know for sure, but chances are if you are native Spanish speaker and it's like your preference or your first language, you'll probably click on that video as opposed to the equivalent video that would be in English if you weren't as comfortable speaking English. So I just think that like anyone who has anyone on YouTube right now who is a creator who knows that they have a significant proportion of people or viewers in a different language, or they themselves speak different language and or know that they're audience are from the different countries that they're represented by their own nationality or by their parents or whatever i would just be thinking like what does the what does my kind of catalog of videos look like because you can add these by the way to past videos and future videos once you have the once you have the feature unlocked and just be thinking like if i have say 10 percent of people watching from spain right now that's probably going to go up when if you add the multi-language audio but it's already a good signal that people in Spain may find a Spanish dubbing track more appealing versus an English version of your video. And that's a good signal. That is so cool, Charles. Suggest maybe that maybe you should uh, should consider dubbing. Right. It's 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 a bit of a bit of work, right? I I have one additional question when you say it's a bit of work is because we create the dubbing track and add it or is an automatic ad from Google. It's so you, so you so you create the dubbing track and add it, but how you create that track is is up to you. So you know Google has the allowed feature. You can hire someone who speaks Spanish if you don't speak Spanish, or if you speak Spanish, you can also record the dubbing track. But effectively, you you want to create like a like for like track against the audio that you have. So if the English if it's English, you say this. You want to create like a like for like in Spanish version of the video. But you could either use that. Big, I think the, the nice thing is that it's really on the creator. So if you want to hire someone who is like a, a local native speaker, you absolutely can do that. And that is, that was, that's amazing because you've now given someone that, you know, opportunity. Or if you want to use artificial intelligence, which are getting pretty good at these things, you could also use artificial intelligence. So right now it's rolled out to long form videos and there's some, some progress on shorts. I think it's not quite fully there yet in terms of rolled out on shorts, but definitely on on long form so yeah that is so cool i was just having so many ideas i'm like you know i could start dubbing in spanish like i'm just kidding but i think it will open up also a new category of i don't know like skills and jobs right for people creating right? this yeah i don't know it's, it's pretty it's pretty mind-blowing that you know like that's happening i i did notice especially because i watch a lot of korean videos some of these videos will have automated English translations, like the captions, mm. and they're actually pretty good. Right. But I, I, I can't imagine being those created by the creator. So that is something that automatically YouTube is getting better at, or is it has been loaded by the creator? The the captions. The captions are are so the, the, there's there's actually two options. So you can have auto generated captions, which we've we've done for a few years, or you can add your own subtitles track. So the auto-generated like subtitles are like auto-generated by YouTube systems, which are usually pretty accurate. But if 
Yeah, they're getting better they and are, better. Yeah, they are. So like, we've, you know, we've been doing this kind of AI stuff for a while with, with stuff like this. But if you, if you want to add your own more accurate subtitles to track, you can 100% do that. And actually where you check to see whether you have multi-language audio is in subtitles. So under YouTube Studio, under the subtitles section, you'll be able to then see there if you can add a, an audio track. That's, it's the same place where you add where you would add subtitles right now. So, um, yeah. Charles, I, I think that the first thing about the thumbnail AV testing, I think is super interesting. Is that rolled out to everybody already? No. So th this is, this is arguably even bigger of an impact than even multi-language audio is. So this is, this is even slower rollout. So I think by the end of this year, maybe look sort of like the first half of next year in 2024. I think most creators will be able to access this. Um, it's, I, I think if you sign up to, there's like a page where you can sign up to like early access to test YouTube's features and functionality. If you go to, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it's something like early access to new features. If you search that on, on YouTube, it should come up as, a, as like a thing, but you can basically sign up to like test new features and functionality. And it's in places like this where you'll basically be able to figure figure out you'll basically be able to be first in line to test that when it comes out i think it's called like youtube labs or something like that yeah you, if you if you search i've just found it if you search yeah. youtube.com slash new i think you can sign up to new i'm gonna i'm gonna and i'll add it on on the show notes as well sounds good i think we've we've all you know ali abdal talks a lot about Okay, it's all about the thumbnail, the title, and the hook, right? Like those, that's like the, the Bible of YouTube. I question, you know, just, just hearing from somebody from YouTube, is this true? Like when you are creating videos for your YouTube channel, are those the three things that you look at? In the short answer, yes, really. I think the, where YouTube is in 2023 is it's, it's, it's a more competitive space than it may have been like five, 10 years ago. And so I think, you just need to consider really like how do you pull people into your content like what's the kind of interesting thing to pull people into your content and i think the hook or the kind of opening part of the video is is definitely a, a, a key factor but i think like to just give to think about like how some of my creators like think about this like they often tell me that 60 or 70 percent of their time is focused on making sure that the right thumbnail and title is like the perfect for their video so, you know, if you look at making a video and hundred percent of the time, 60 or 70% of their time from what they're telling me is spent creating the thumbnails and titles. And actually it seems to be that we're moving to a place where that part of the process is now decided and filmed and you know, take a photo for the thumbnail and know what the title is going to be before you even write one word of the script or even record one second of the video. So I think. Just to give an idea of like how some of like I'm working with some of the biggest creators in the UK of just like how they're thinking about it, you know, in 2023, it's very much the case that the fun of like how your video shows up, don't get me wrong, the video idea and the concept and the hook of the video is super, super important. And actually, even if you make the best video, it will still stand out with a not as good a thumbnail, but it's that, that bar is a lot harder. Like it's a lot harder to make an amazing really high quality video that just does really, really well versus ensuring that you have a really strong title and thumbnail and a really, and a good, like a really good video and a really good concept than making like 
a Netflix style kind of documentary you know, on on YouTube. So I think you know if if you're if you're a creator who's just starting out, it's important to just get the reps in and just figure out what you actually enjoy making content about. I think this is so underrated as a as a, as a piece. Like I figured out, like I was making personal finance content, I was making travel vlog content, I was making all sorts of different things. I did a PS5 unboxing video, like all different things. And actually, no one really knows this, but like 10, 12 years ago, I also made content about farming. My dad, like a home home is like on a farm. And I'm, I filmed my dad like on a tractor driving along while he's like sowing the new crops into the grounds. And that was like some of the most, one of my best performing videos for a long time. But yeah, it's great. So I think, you know, that focus on Having a good title and thumbnail is is really really important. I think it's, it's nice that we now have the new thumbnail testing things soon that you'll be able to do to just help validate that further. But I think that really is important. I, one one question about the the thumbnail mm. trial. So you know the the algorithm is in a way a program, right? That looks at the thumbnail and then sort of decides, okay, this is a good thumbnail or this is not. Like in a in a mathematical and statistical way. I remember like Ali Abdal was talking about like saturation and, and there are a lot of different thumbnails. How, like, what is a good framework or a good way to, to, to sort of evaluate, okay, this is a good thumbnail or this is not, is it just gut feeling or I don't know. Okay. If you use more red it's better. Is there some kind of not hundred percent spot on formula, but again, when you are making it, what do you look at? I think. There's different ways you can kind of like evaluate whether it's going to be good. I, there's, there's no like right way of doing a thumbnail. I think I'm seeing a complete myriad of different kind of examples of, of thumbnails from like really highly produced to something made in Canva or Photoshop or, you know, and, 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 and both are doing equally as well. And even just thumbnails that have been generated with Adobe Firefly or something like that. So I think the thing with, the thing with thumbnails is it's often a case of seeing what are other creators within my space doing that are like similar in my kind of niche? I think this is a really kind of key thing to, to look at. And that might give you an idea that, hey, I want to make different thumbnails to that. Or, hmm, these are clearly doing well. Maybe these videos are more popular. The, you know, the videos that, that they, they've created using these kind of thumbnails have been more popular than the other videos. So perhaps there's an indication there that thumbnails contributed to that factor. And actually in YouTube studio, when you, start, when you start uploading videos and get enough audience data, there's two good areas to look at, which is videos that your audience also watches and channels that your audience also watches. Two really good areas of studio where you can see how your audience are interacting with other parts of YouTube. And I think they just validates, okay, why are they watching that other content? What those other videos doing or what are those other channels doing and giving an idea of that. One thing that I often see that it's not necessarily a best practice, but one thing I often see creators sometimes falling into a trap of is just, is just perhaps not a super amazing realization of how many surfaces that YouTube also shows your thumbnails on. And what I mean by that is like the thumbnail has to be fit like the size of a postage stamp in terms of how it's shown up, but it also has to be visible enough to fit on like a Samsung 70 inch TV screen on an Apple TV. So I think one big consideration is your thumbnail wants to be 
intriguing and have this element of curiosity within it where you know the thumbnail like the title gives you the kind of an an idea of what the video is going to be but the thumbnail kind of makes you you click on it because you're like oh you know what's going on here so i think really i would consider like there's a good website called thumbsup.tv where you can upload your thumbnail and see how it appears in like lots of different areas on youtube that's a good way just to see how is it showing up across all the different surfaces and what does that look like and i think that's just a good way of validating if you were on a small like i know old samsung smartphone is it is it going to show up there or how does it show up on my apple tv and just validating that checking the other channels and seeing what they're doing it's it's very good to have your own authentic style and i think actually another another thing another recommendation of figuring out what good thumbnails look like is just seeing what a, a creator that i look after is doing very well recently making his like thumbnails and, and videos and one thing that he was saying is he actually draws a lot of inspiration from like old school like film posters and just like album arts and things like that just to get like some inspiration of what was he makes these kind of mini documentary videos and so he looks at old film kind of posters or advertising campaigns related to the film or even just like netflix kind of album art for different documentaries and and things like that and just pulls inspiration from other places that are not necessarily youtube because there's an element of okay well if other people have been making content with these successful thumbnails, then you have a good chance of doing well. But if you're then able to take the lessons from that, make sure that it scales up and down and take maybe some lessons or insights or uniqueness from other places or other platforms that have like thumbnails or posters or elements like that to them and apply that onto a YouTube piece, you can then also apply your own stamp. So I think when it comes to like colors or anything like that, that's more about building your own brand. And I think you could have blue, you could have yellow, you can have green. And I think if you're, if you are, you're wanting to make successful thumbnails, generally there's just wants to be some kind of element that is, that's a child's thumbnail, or that's a Monica thumbnail, or I will see it in a myriad of, of thumbnails and it's okay. Oh, I know what I'm going to expect from that but also is intriguing and curious enough that if you're watching that video for the first time and you've never seen a video from Monica before, you're like, that looks interesting to me. That would make me click. But also if I'm an existing fan, like in terms of like fan service and loyalty and building up this kind of strong concept of fandom, then people are like, ah, that's a Monica video. I recognize the colors or I recognize the that you know her face is in the corner or i don't know the the, the text color or the type or the the font that she's used on the thumbnail that's a monica thumbnail um i think the only other thing i would just say because there's so many surfaces as well i would avoid putting too much text on on the thumbnail sometimes this can this is like a thing i i commonly see like companies more so than creators actually do on the platform where they're trying to get so much information on it's just pull my intrigue and then, you know, have the explanations of what you may have on the text within the video, contain it within that. If you need to put a couple of words, it's fine. But maintain my intrigue and curiosity enough to want to make me click. And we talked a little bit about hooks already, Monica, but like those, the first few seconds of the video, I think often people think 
it's really important and it is but it's also not just the not just what's being said in that hook it's also the visual piece of that hook we already talked about those first few seconds like in the preview mode that's like an ex- like that it's like a thumbnail plus you know like thumbnail extension like when people hover like that hover over the thumbnail piece and so if people see the title and thumbnail that's really crucial but just think around what's the first three or five seconds of the video just from a visual sound off no audio perspective and is that giving enough kind of maybe intrigue or curiosity or desire to watch the rest of that video based on just a silent like old school when we had the silent film kind of pieces is that giving in those first three seconds enough for me to continue to watch like you've already hooked me enough from the title and thumbnail to make me even preview and hover but is the hover starting to deliver the value visually for me to keep watching that's another kind of consideration i would i'll just throw into the mix brilliant oh my god i was just like keeping track of okay this is definitely a highlight of the video i think that's that's so practical and just like visually i know uh, it's less abstract. Some people talk about, oh, you know, like the thumbnail has to be good, intriguing. But I think you you definitely hit the right points of also being original and just being different, right? Because right? I don't know, Ali Abdal comes up with this really good thumbnail that works. And then within five days, everybody else is doing the same thing. So but the idea of making it unique and original, I think that's a, that's a great point. You did talk a little bit about like the shorts and the the long form videos before mm. it was like, okay, create shorts, shorts, shorts. Cause you know, like YouTube is trying to push shorts. It's going to give you more visibility. I don't know if you can talk about this, but is that still true? Is that still the case? You know, like shorts and long form video, which, you know, are, are shorts still getting a lot of visibility or, you know, Pat Flynn was talking about, you know, forget about shorts, just focus on long form videos. Is there any strategy that you would recommend for maybe not huge creators, but, you know, like young, just starting or mid creators, just like myself? Mm. I think often people have a slight misconception that YouTube is now all about shorts. And I want to distill that misconception slightly, which is shorts definitely important. However, (laughs) I think the future for creators, you know, this year and beyond the next Mr. Beasts of the world are going to be multi-format creators. You know, I think multi-format is not just long form and shorts as well, just to be clear. Like the next, you know, big creators, maybe people who create shorts and live stream, or they do one video a week on long form and then they have a podcast, for example. So I think like YouTube released their culture and trends report recently and actually they did a massive survey of like people in, in loads of different countries. I think it was like over to over 25,000 like online adults. And one of the things was that 87% of the people that they surveyed watched at least four content formats on YouTube over the past like year. And just if you look at Gen Z, which is like one of the biggest like growing audiences in terms of size, they like 67% of Gen Z said they like it when their favorite creators are creating in different formats so i think just from a from a real audience perspective here each format this is the beauty of youtube right the beauty of youtube is you can do all the different formats here you can be super creative with it 
and financially it's most rewarding to create on YouTube. So whether you want to create a channel that's just solely focused on shorts or you want to create, you know, shorts, VOD, live, or you want to do podcasts in long form, really the, the future of YouTube is multi-format. Shorts is part of the mix of that for sure. But, you know, people sometimes ask me like, is there a perfect length of a YouTube video that I need to be putting out? Is, is 12 minutes better than 20 minutes? Is three minutes better than 40 minutes? There's no perfect length. The content should be as long as it needs to be or, or should be. But the beauty with something like shorts is it gives you this kind of opportunity to experiment with something a little bit different, something a bit new. It doesn't have to necessarily be as polished or have a professional Sony $3,000 camera to record like a, a long form video. But you can then add a podcast element to it, you know, or you can have live streaming where you get to know your audience on a, on a deeper level by, I don't know, playing like a like a like a game online or maybe you're doing a live stream one thing we've seen a lot recently is people prefer watching creators reactions to big events like a met gala or the baftas or parish fashion week people prefer watching creators reactions to those events than the event itself so if you're a creator you could make a long video that's maybe half an hour or an hour long and make some shorts if you wanted to reacting to this kind of event and that would actually be like super successful for you like that could, that could do really really well because people like watching different types of formats when they're in different parts of their day you know like for example living room is the fastest growing surface on youtube so people who are sitting down on their playstation or their samsung tv are watching content on their living room that is the fastest growing surface. And what is more likely to happen, I think, is if you're in living room and you're watching something, you're probably going to watch longer than you would do if you're maybe like on your phone or your laptop or tablet. So that one hour podcast or two hour podcast that you're thinking of doing, but you're thinking, oh, but are people going to listen to that in 2023? Like people got time to sit down. There is points where if the content is good enough and is interesting enough and the points being made are, are, are interesting or the content is engaging enough, people will watch that one hour or two hour video on their TV. Maybe they'll watch it on their phone. And if you're a creator who is making this content, if you're reacting to the Met Gala, for example, and you're going back thinking of the footage, what are those then short moments that you could make that you could then turn into shorts that maybe you could repurpose from that piece? Or you could make dedicated shorts in like realization of seeing which bits of that video did the best and then making a moment which was, I don't know, the best men's outfits at the Met Gala, for example, or the most surprising outfits at the Met Gala. And there you've got a brilliant short idea by seeing at what points of the video did like really well. So people, people really like this. People really like watching different formats. And just, I think the key thing is, if you're a creator thinking about like how you integrate that into your strategy, consider what's reasonable to you. That's the first thing, because, you know, it might be that you might want to do one long form and three shorts a week and one live a week. But then you're thinking like, but I've also got a full-time job, man. Like, how can I do that? Like, how can I balance that in my schedule? And so it has to be reasonable. But I think if you are a creator, you want to be considering the different formats that you can create because it just opens yourself up to a new audience opportunity. 
that you haven't really been able to do before. And the last thing I'll say on this is just, just quickly, the most underrated format or surface, I think also shorts, like live podcasts are awesome, but also community posts are a really good way of just connecting with your community with just like memes or gifs or insights behind the scenes into your video. I, I personally think they're the most underrated surface on YouTube. I've been like fighting the good fight for community posts for a while and they now show up on the home feed. So if you're a creator and you like scroll through the home feed, I do this a lot with my creators. I just go through the home feed, like scroll through. You'll see there's two rows of like long form. Then you might see like a live shelf or something like that, like a, a shelf. Then you'll see like a short shelf. Then you'll maybe see like another row or two of long form videos. Then you'll see a row of community posts if you're on like laptop or desktop. If you're on mobile, you'll just see them as part of the like the feed when you're scrolling down. So it's, it, it's not trying to be able to do everything because if you do everything and you have a team, amazing. But it's just figuring out what are those touch points that you can have to appeal to your existing audience, build that loyal community, but also then appeal to new people who may discover you for the first time. And are like, oh, hey, you know, he's talking about the creator economy. Awesome. And then you see maybe a PDF or a resource shared on the community post. And it's, ah, this is cool. This channel is more than just making, you know, interesting videos, which is also fine, by the way, but it, it's, it's a whole community around the channel. So I, big, big community post advocate over here. That's so cool. Like I, I would not have thought of it at all. So thank you for, for adding that insight. One no thing worries. that I think you, you mentioned and. You know, I, we're, we're recording a podcast and I love podcasts. And very recently, I noticed the podcast tab on YouTube. Mm. So can you tell us more about this new tab of podcast and maybe a couple sort of, I don't know, practical tips? So, for example, I've been doing audio mainly, but just in case I've been recording these videos and also just to build a connection with my guests when we do the interviews. I am preparing to actually post them on YouTube. My main motivation was really because of this new tab that showed up on YouTube. So I saw this tab and I want to, you know, post it. Any, any tips or advice that you could provide in terms of should you post twice or only as a podcast? So I think, yeah, I think for a while on, on YouTube, we've, we, we've had a lot of people uploading podcasts onto the platform. Like it's been a thing for a while that people have been, been doing. And I think only in the last kind of like couple of years, have we actually realized that this was actually the case and actually thought, Hmm, this is, we've got a lot of people doing podcasts here. Maybe we should kind of give them some more discoverability features and functionality. So I think in terms of like tips or recommendations. If you are making a podcast already, 100% consider uploading it to YouTube. If you're already distributing it to other, to other places and you're, not, and you're not doing it on YouTube. I think um, you generally, I came across a new word the other day, which is like a vodcast, which is apparently what a video podcast is. Whether that will stick and whether we'll just stick with podcasts, who knows? But yes, I would upload your vodcast or podcast onto YouTube. I think if you want to like, Really, you probably want to have a video. You want it probably in video form. If you can't do that, at least add like a waveform or something 
onto the platform so that it, it's slightly more engaging. But trust me, it will be a lot more enjoyable if you do have the the video. Even using something like Riverside FM or if you're doing it in person, then a friend of mine, I helped us have a podcast and she did a Logitech Mevo setup, which is like this three cameras where you can buy I mean, you can have like different shots of one of both of the whole shot and then one focused on each kind of person that you're interviewing, which is, which is quite a good entry level setup. So I think generally a podcast on YouTube, when you're uploading it, a podcast sits within a podcast playlist. So when you're uploading it, it will sit within a podcast playlist. And, and that's basically when you select the, like the format type, when you're uploading, that's what you want to select. So. That's crucial because then you basically get access to different discoverability, like places where that podcast are going to sit on the platform. So you already mentioned like one of them, like the actual like podcast category and section. YouTube's going to highlight podcasts within there that, that are like interesting or new based on, you know, what they know about you as a, as a viewer. So that's, that's pretty big. And I would say, yeah, consider doing it in video, put it within a podcast playlist and put the full episodes as part of that podcast. You don't need to upload the full episodes separately as well. If they're in the podcast playlist, they'll be treated as a video, but also recognized as a podcast. So it's just like additional I, I had a question, um, Charles, with that. So I, I was uploading my first episodes from the podcast for the first time, and it would prompt me, do you want to add an existing video to the podcast list? Or is this a new video? Do you think it's better if I upload it first as a regular video and then add it to the playlist or it makes no difference at all? It does. It, it shouldn't make any difference if you, if you, if you add it. I think, okay. yeah, definitely as you go forward, I would just add it to the playlist on the upload flow because it will be easier for people to discover it. What's also really valuable is obviously YouTube, you know, .com and you, the YouTube app is a massive place in which people can discover and watch your podcast and you can remix it and put the, the highlights into shorts and all that kind of wonderful things. But it's already rolled out into the US and it's rolling out into more countries later this year. YouTube also has a music app, right? YouTube Music is a whole new app and a whole new place to discover amazing songs and artists and albums, but also podcasts. And actually, by putting your podcast into the podcast playlist, as soon as you add it into there, it will also add it onto YouTube Music. So, oh, that is, is awesome! Is I didn't good. know that. Yeah, yeah. So as soon as you, so the thing is, if you're thinking like, okay, I'll upload it to YouTube, and then maybe at some point I'll add it to the playlist. No, no, add it to the playlist as soon as you can, because effectively if you're based in the us and it's already accessible for you us based viewers so if you're in the uk and you add your you know you have a podcast and you add it into the playlist us viewers will start to see it in their youtube music app and it's rolling out to more countries i think by the end of this year into beginning and into the beginning of next it's like a whole new set of people who will be able to discover your podcast in primarily audio form through the youtube music app and that's you know you're on the go listening to your podcast on the commute or on the way home or something like that, where maybe you're not sitting down to listen to the kind of full interview. But that's a significant benefit of putting it in the podcast playlist. Just the whole new discoverability piece from people who are going to find you for the first time on the YouTube music app. 
and there's that like millions is, of people wow, there. That's that's mind blowing. I I don't know how you are, and that's that's you know the last topic that I wanted to cover. That you know your personal YouTube channel. I know that we all started. I don't know, like almost three four years ago, and some some students are doing like amazing work, and they've just like massively grown. I've sort of like, it's just like consistency is so hard. Like editing is so hard. Every, every little, like every little step is such a hurdle for me. But where are you at with your, you know, YouTube channel? You're so busy. Are you finding time to record? Yeah. Are your main topics, personal finance, entrepreneurship, you know, has that shifted a little bit? What, let's just focus on, you know, Charles Curl. What are you interested in and how has your YouTube channel been? I've been consistently inconsistent, Monica. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's how they say. I describe it nowadays. Yeah, I've been consistently inconsistent. Look, it's hard to find time to 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 film and and you know because there are more considerations with making a YouTube video now. You know, with the title and the thumbnail and just the value that you're providing. Yeah, it's it's just generally it's just generally harder when you have a full time job. I get it. You know, I, I I get it when people have full time jobs and they're wanting to create a YouTube channel. It's really hard. One of the first things that's really good to do is try and find an editor that can edit your videos. I think that's 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 a really good time time save. Like it costs money, but actually, you know, if you're spending time or, or money, you know, getting someone else to edit your videos, that's going to save you time to free up to do other stuff. That might be work, or maybe you're doing another side hustle or part time thing that earns you money. So then you can like cost cost benefit analysis that. Yeah, so for me, I mean, I've gone through a bit of everything in terms of the content that I was making. I think one of the main things that I want to do in the next few years, whether it's a YouTube or maybe it's in my own kind of creator economy thing, is just help creators with the kind of business of being a creator. And by that, I mean, not necessarily around helping you make a better YouTube video, but more like there's often i think two types of creators creators who come onto a platform like youtube make content because they just really enjoy it and they have absolutely zero desire to make any kind of money or financial benefit from it they just find it fun it's like a nice hobby and that's completely fine and that is wonderful and then i think there's another type of creators who do really enjoy it and do have fun with it but also are wanting to build like a creative business and i think what is often interesting is i think for me speaking to these creators who you know there's a friend of mine for example who has a big fitness and food channel and he has grown this and has you know been developing it but he was a dentist before so you know he's got like this like ebook where you can buy his like recipes and he's got like these kind of like fitness plans and things that you can buy and I was just chatting to him and he was like man like how do I hire someone what is that process like? Or I want to set up like a kind of a protein-focused, HelloFresh kind of alternative. Like, where would I even start with the kind of operations piece of that? Or, you know, how much do I pay an editor and what kind of things could I expect those to do? Like, where do I find these people? And how do I... One of the a good example is like, he has these kind of meal ebook plans that he's, of, like, of like food that he's built and he has these kind of fitness plans. Well, I was saying to him, okay, so do you promote the fitness plans to the people who are buying your ebook, of which there's thousands of people who bought the ebook and, if, and you know, tens of people who are on the fitness plan? I was like, well, perfect cross kind of marketing opportunity 
big with my business hat on. I also did a business degree. It's coming to see some use. And I'm like, okay, how do you cross promote the two of those? And he's, I don't actually do any cross promotion. I don't have any kind of newsletter or WhatsApp broadcast channel or anything like that, where these people are seeing these different types of content. So I was like, aha, that's, that's so interesting. You know, maybe you want to consider what's the marketing strategy looking like for your creative business. And if he's wanting to build out this kind of hello fresh thing, he's going to need to build out a team, going to be to build out a marketing strategy, maybe run like pay promotion. So I think for me, my channel is heading towards my North Star, which is helping creators build out creative businesses, which is like leveraging the audience they have to build like a product or a service. And I'm not entirely sure what my kind of perfect world or perfect job would look like yet. I think what I'm doing now at YouTube is pretty fun. So I'm, I'm pretty happy there. But I think there's definitely scope at some point in my life to basically go in and work with, take myself and a small team and go in and help a creator launch their creative business for a period of six months or so. And, you know, help them set it up, build it, make it successful, whether it's even like a coffee brand or it's like a, a service that they're offering, or it's like a whole new business outlook for them. It's like a book or something and just help them build that creative business, whatever it may be. And then I think for me, the YouTube channel is very much around the business of creators and just the creator economy in general, and just seeing how other creators or business folks are interacting with, you know, video and YouTube in a way in which is building themselves out their own startup. Like ultimately creators are building their own startups. I don't think people recognize or talk about this enough. When do I hire an accountant to do, you know, the finance, totally. you know, all these kind of things. So I think that's the kind of content that I want to be making, which I don't, which I don't really think there is that much content about. I don't think enough people often talk about the startup side or the business side of being a creator. So that's why I want to talk about more and help more people do that. And we actually have two audience personas, you know, that we've thought about, you know, in terms of who we want to be like, the, have the viewers from the channel. And one of them is someone who's ready to start this creative business and someone who's maybe working full time and doing their YouTube channel and is not really sure whether this whole creative economy thing is like worthwhile yeah and there's like videos in my I'm, I'm that second person kind of <laughs> no, that's more of our uh, inspirational piece that's more of our inspirational videos of this is what potentially is possible versus more of an actionable thing of such as another one might be like okay this is you know how you should go about hiring someone or editor or or, or, or giving you an example of, of, of how to do that um, or how i did it so. Yeah, that Charles, I, I love the idea of, you know, you, you don't need just one persona, like you can, each video can have a one persona, but it, a channel can have multiple personas that you are imagining to serve. So I think that's, that's a great idea too. And even in my case, you know, I, I left, I moved, I did this whole, you know, like international, global, like I moved across countries. I'm now in, based in the US. And I think everything changed for me, like my environment opportunities and I just see different things right mm -hmm. so because of time difference I, I left the job that I had in Korea I'm now based in Houston and I decided or like I realized a lot of people are, are asking me about Notion and mm -hmm. I'm just really embracing this pers persona or character of I don't know, making a small a small bet about like Notion helping people use Notion teaching Notion consulting in Notion. And I have been trying to create more educational videos 
but they're just so boring, you know? I'm like, like I, I don't know how to make educational videos more interesting. And I just wanted to get some, I don't know, tips or advice. Maybe you've seen a lot of these creators that, uh, mm. what kind of advice would you have for me? Like somebody who, who is really busy, does not have a lot of technical skills in her toolbox. I can do screenshots. I'm really good at presenting in person. I'm really good at going through a slide deck, right? But then I think that's too plain for YouTube. So how yeah. can I adjust it up a little bit or any tips for somebody like me, like a teacher who wants to do edutainment, but then does not have the entertainment part? Yeah, no, that's completely fair. I think like part of it comes in time. Like I think you'll just, you'll get better at the skill or, like of YouTube. Like I think it's really interesting actually because people who are maybe amazing public speakers are not necessarily amazing YouTube creators and vice versa. And it, 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 it's, it's, it's really interesting. And it's something I've noticed when I've met up with some creators who make videos and are like super high energy and you know, this kind of almost different person when they make YouTube videos. And then in person, they're sort of like really calm and reserved. And I'm like, so that was Ali Abdal. Like, <laughs> Ali was like a, a different person, you know, in real life. It was like, you know, I was like, wow, she's like a friend of mine. But on video, he's like a superstar. Right. He's like, he adopts a little bit of a personality. But I think just, you know, being authentic to you is really, is really important. I think with educational content, there's ways, I think the edit's quite quite important for educational content my god uh, just the way that it's pieced together and the kind of graphics and animations and things that that show on screen i think are like i think are like quite important like you said around like powerpoint and stuff like that i think where an editor is quite useful is you might have a powerpoint with some really cool graphs but that editor could maybe animate that into some kind of really you know animated kind of graph or animation or something on screen which is like super super visual i think the, the, the beautiful thing with educational content is people are constantly trying to learn and ask you questions. So I actually think one of the, one of the nicest things about educational content versus say entertainment content is in your comments and community tab and even on across social media, you will make a video and it will be like, I don't know, how to get started with checklists on Notion or something like that. But then people will be like, oh, but how do I actually use this feature if I'm trying to build out like a home planner or something like that? And then it's okay, that's a video of making checkboxes applicable if you're building a home. So I think with educational, with educational content, it's particularly interesting to apply the education, the knowledge to like a use case or to some kind of thing. And I think that's where you can be clever because Notion can be used by anyone, by anything from any industry, any startup, corporate, but just, you know, having videos focused maybe around like how to use Notion to improve your marketing strategy or how I've used Notion to organize like the different Google ads that I'm running or like that kind of outcome focused solution is interesting because then you start appearing in recommendations for Google ads videos but within your kind of like notion. So the theme or the niche of the channel is helping people get better at notion, but then you're appealing to these other audience sets with applying notion specific knowledge to Google ads, which may not necessarily be historically associated with notion or 
maybe you're applying notion to i don't know something around horse racing you know just takes a completely random example and it's okay using it in that setting and maybe that's something that someone asked you in a comment or as an instagram and then you as an instagram dm and then you're like okay well that's a great idea let me make that and i think you can do these clever thing now where if you have a comment on your on youtube you can reply with a short and you can literally reply directly to a comment with a short and it will show up like as a short on your channel and it's just stuff like that where it's you don't really get that so much with entertainment content like people don't ask you as much but monica can i use it in this situation or you know have you ever thought about notion ai and is, have you you created something like that did it work for you there and then you can apply to that as a short and that can be a good test bed for you to figure out should i make a longer kind of video about this so i think the beautiful thing as i said with education is just your audience is is there ready to suggest ideas and so you almost it's hard it's harder to run out of ideas and i would lean on them for just some inspiration and use some community tab to, to, to ask them what kind of content do you find most interesting and the other thing I would just do is in a similar way of learning how other channels make thumbnails or, or, or titles, just see what other successful notion channels, like who's the name of that really successful? Is it Marie Poulin? Marie Poulin, just like my hero. Marie Poulin, she's amazing. <laughs> and just like seeing like maybe how they, how they've done it or similar people who are watching your content. Generally, that's a good way. Like the videos and channels, people who are watching your content also watching to just see what kind of things they're doing. And it's not about stealing. It's just about getting inspiration of what's working for them and applying it into a Monica theme setup. Yeah. And Monica kind of in this inspired. Is, uh, this is amazing, situation. Charles. Like I, I wanted to ask you, like, what, who are some of the things that you are being, I don't know, intrigued by? What are mm -hmm. your interests these days? Well, my interest, it feels like most of the stuff that I eat I immerse myself in its creator, uh, creator economy stuff, that's for sure. But also I think it's, it is definitely important to have interest in the things that you do outside of your job. I mean, I definitely at like the job within the YouTube channel, you know, the content is stuff is creator economy and it's, it's somewhat similar. But I think for me also, like I, I got really big into soul cycle recently. Like soul cycle is like 20% therapy, 80% exercise. What is I that? Think. It's, First time hearing about it. Oh, so sad. I thought it was like a massive thing in the US. Maybe they haven't made it to Texas yet. So cycle. So cycle, yeah. So it's basically, how can I word this? I feel like the marketing team at SoulCycle are going to be thinking like, damn, he's explained this terribly. But it's basically like a, an amazing spirit, like amazing spinning experience. Like when you're on a bike and it's like a spin bike indoors, but it's also quite essential and therapeutic experience. So as well, I describe it as like 80% exercise, 20% therapy, because you're there cycling along to, I don't know, Beyonce or Florence and the Machine or something like that. You're having a really good time. Like, it's, it, like the sort of P0 foundation is, it feels like fun. Like it actually is like the, the exercise type that I probably like the most, aside from maybe tennis, I also love playing tennis. But SoulCycle is just this thing, which is so fun to do that you don't even feel like you're exercising and is that a, the, name, the name of the brand like peloton like yeah, soul yeah, cycle yeah. or is the activity no no it's that it's no no the the activities are often themed around the word soul but like the one there's one on sunday i do called soul survivor 
which is like a one hour version of the 45. They're normally 45 minute classes. Or can you buy, um, can I buy an, like a bike from Amazon and do that? Or is like I a think, bike? So you can buy the sole bikes. You can. And they, I don't know how that bit works. I think they have like online classes maybe. I don't know. I think the in-person experience is, is hard to beat on something like this. Like I've, I've never done a Peloton personally, so I can't speak from, from, from experience of doing that. But I think the soul. So you go somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, in, it's, it's indoors cycling, but like I did a spin class the other day in another, in another sort of gym chain, which is quite highly respected. And it was all about numbers and you're looking like how fast you're doing and you know, your speed and resistance and stuff like that. With SoulCycle, there's no heart rate sensors, there's no numbers, there's nothing like that. You're just fully focused on the rhythm of the music and the fun experience that you're doing and just the songs and just, you know, you're doing, you know, there's some weights that you, that you do, some kind of biceps and shoulder presses and things on the bike, but you're also, you know, standing up, you're doing push-ups or all these other movements. Like there's one called Sexy Corners where you're sort of like moving around <laughs> on the bike. It's just fun. It's just really. Oh, yeah, that, I need like, to check it out. Uh, we all need some fun, and this is yeah. It's I. I can't believe. Maybe I'm I'm such an outsider of all things cool, but I first time hearing about it, and thank you, Charles, for introducing me to a lot of new <laughs> and interesting things. 